Today's episode is brought to you by Positively Productive Systems, whose mission is to be the antidote to your stress and to provide compassionate productivity resources and coaching that help you heal and achieve. Be sure to check out both free and paid resources at PositivelyProductive.com resources. What motivated us to do or not do something was how we respond to inner and outer expectations. The Four Tendencies categorizes individuals into four types and helps us understand that response in the context of accountability and motivation. This kind of understanding can help you with self-mastery, getting yourself to do things, influencing others to do things, and it can help reduce frustration and improve relationships when you understand yourself and others better. You're listening to the Positively Living Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Zarotny, founder of Positively Productive Systems and a productivity coach certified in positive psychology and stress management. Join me as we explore ways to live a more proactive, positive life with episodes on productivity, self-awareness, mindset, entrepreneur life, habits and systems, simplicity, fun, and more. I understand overwhelm personally as a multi-passionate entrepreneur, wife and mom to kids and cats, and as a caregiver. I'm here to help you choose what's right for you so you can do less, live more, and breathe easier. Sound good? Let's get to it. Welcome to the Positively Living Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa, and I'm so grateful you've joined me today. And I have a few questions for you. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but if you know me, you know it's true, because I'm curious by nature. It's one of my core strengths, and maybe a bit of a quirk, but it works oh so well as a coach and when I'm interviewing. And according to Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies Assessment, it makes sense, because I am officially a questioner. What are the other three tendencies? I will get into that in a minute. In this episode, I'm reviewing Rubin's framework, what each of the four tendencies are, and how knowing this can help you live a happier, more productive life. I've even included some famous examples for you. In honor of my questioner nature, I'm going to ask on your behalf, why would we want to take this kind of assessment? Well, I just mentioned living a happier, more productive life, which is one great reason, but really overall, it's self-awareness which allows you to evaluate who you are and what you do, manage your emotions, align your behavior, and understand how others perceive you. It's a worthwhile practice because it benefits you internally and externally. You can find self-acceptance and also learn to accept others. You can nurture self-compassion and find compassion for others. See where I'm going with this? You become clear on your limits and boundaries and have a better understanding of why others have theirs. And understanding is the gateway to respecting and honoring. If you've listened to the podcast, you know we've talked about self-awareness repeatedly. I kicked off the podcast with the idea that self-awareness is your number one productivity tool. That is the first episode of the Positively Living podcast. And we've also talked about it in so many different ways throughout over 180 episodes now. Can hardly believe that. Yeah, we've talked about a lot and self-awareness was in many of those conversations. If you're curious which ones and you'd like to explore them, there's an easy way to find them. When you go to the podcast page of the website, positivelyproductive.com slash podcast, 
Type in keywords to search for the topics you're interested in. For this one, I suggest keywords like self-awareness, multi-passionate, productivity myths, neurodiversity, journaling, and boundaries. That'll get you some great episodes that complement this one. There are also episodes specifically about human design, the Big Five personality assessment, and tons more on self-care, including one that connects it back to the five love languages. Self-awareness can involve assessment of many aspects of our character, but this one is personality-based, which I'm sure you've seen everywhere. I am the first to admit I love doing assessments. Back in the day, BuzzFeed probably succeeded in large part due to my desire to know what kind of potato chip I was. I would click on any of them. I was so curious. But as with any self-assessment, please keep in mind that they're generally limited because you're answering the questions at a specific time in your life, and you should not use your results as justification for self-judgment. Instead, see the results as an opportunity for exploration and self-discovery. If anything, let it be a pathway to self-compassion. When you understand why you do what you do, it sets the foundation for change without condemnation, which is the most powerful and sustainable there is. Now let's dig into the four tendencies. Gretchen Rubin is the author of a multitude of books, including The Happiness Project and Better Than Before, as well as The Four Tendencies. She's been studying how to be happy and productive for years, and during her research for her other books, she wanted to know why we do what we do or don't do what we don't do. And she uncovered a key component, expectations. Her research showed that what motivated us to do or not do something was how we respond to inner and outer expectations. The Four Tendencies categorizes individuals into four types and helps us understand that response in the context of accountability and motivation. You can see why it's awesome for creating habits, right? This kind of understanding can help you with self-mastery, getting yourself to do things, influencing others to do things, and it can help reduce frustration and improve relationships when you understand yourself and others better. According to Rubin's framework, you can be a certain tendency and tip toward another. She claims your primary still remains, but the one you tip toward is like a secondary and perhaps a tiebreaker in some instances. To keep things quick today, we'll focus on the main tendencies, and I encourage you to look at the graphic online so you can see where the tendencies overlap and definitely to read her book, which I have on my favorites page, to see how the tendencies interact and to get more details about each of them. The four categories are upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. I'll give you an overview of each and in the context of what it means to be productive. Upholders readily meet external and internal expectations fairly equally. They say things like, I love routines, and people think I'm extremely disciplined. Discipline is my freedom. I can do things when I want to, and I can do things when I don't want to. Upholders are self-directed, so they can meet deadlines, work on projects, and take the initiative without much supervision. They enjoy routine and may have trouble adjusting to a break in routine or sudden scheduling changes. They put a high value on follow-through. Don't tell them you're going to do something and then not do it. They may need to be reminded that, unlike them, others aren't necessarily energized by getting things done. And they may have trouble delegating responsibilities because they suspect that others aren't dependable. 
They may struggle with change and tend toward rigidity because they lock in so well and their actions create strong habits. The most effective habit strategy for upholders is scheduling. They love to keep a schedule and get through every item. Whatever appears on the calendar gets done. They can make time for each person and each activity that they value by putting it on the calendar. You can help them out by giving them plenty of time for change. Questioners, just like it sounds, question all expectations. So they meet an expectation only if they believe it's justified. It's an internal expectation. They say things like, I'll comply if you convince me why. I love researching. And people sometimes say, I ask why too much. Oh boy, that sounds so familiar. Questioners put a high value on reason, research, and information. They follow the advice of authorities only if they trust their expertise, and they'll follow their own judgment, sometimes even when it flies in the face of experts who supposedly know more. Their persistent questioning can sometimes make them seem uncooperative. They hate anything arbitrary. I'll give you a great example from my experience, which is New Year's resolutions and starting things on January 1st. If you want to start something, I truly believe you just start it now. <laughs> uh, questioners may dislike being questioned themselves. Ironic. They consider their actions carefully, so they find it tiresome or possibly even insulting to be asked to justify their decisions. And they may have trouble delegating decision-making because they suspect that others don't have sufficient basis for action or probably just haven't researched to the extent that they do. The most effective habit strategy for a questioner is clarity. The strategy of clarity is crucial for questioners because they want to know exactly what they're doing and why. They won't meet an expectation if they don't understand the reason. So they have to receive really robust answers to their questions. And it helps to see that they need to establish the clarity and are not trying to be problematic. It's like I've always said to people, I'm data driven. So just I need the details and then I will be good to go. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but struggle to meet inner expectations. So this is the reverse of questioners. Obligers say things like, you can count on me and I'm counting on you to count on me. If I have to, I will. If I want to, I won't. Obligers put a high value on meeting commitments to others. I'll do anything for someone. They thrive with deadlines, oversight, monitoring, and other forms of accountability. They may have trouble setting limits on others' demands. They may be exploited by people who take advantage of them. They may also get to a point of feeling resentful and fall into something called obliger rebellion. They may have trouble delegating because they feel some expectation to do it themselves. And they must have systems of external accountability in order to meet inner expectations. I think this is so interesting because with my tendency to go for inner expectations, I feel like I bring that to my obliger clients and we have a really good balance. So the most effective habit strategy for an obliger is accountability. Now, all four tendencies can have benefits from accountability to varying degrees, but obligers absolutely require external accountability. Now, the options could include deadlines, uh, specific consequences if something isn't done, involvement from accountability partners like coaches or groups or trainers, friends, family. Any kind of accountability buddy will help. 
Obligers often feel a powerful sense of obligation to be good role models, and they can often do something for someone else on behalf of someone else. And you can help them out by making a note of that and protecting their limits. Rebels resist both outer and inner expectations, whereas upholders can balance both. Rebels are like, "Mm, it's neither. They say things like, I value freedom and choice. I do what I want to do when I want to do it. You can't make me and neither can I. The saying, you're not the boss of me, always makes me think of rebels. Rebels put a high value on freedom, choice, identity, authenticity. If someone asks or tells them to do something, they're likely to resist on principle because they were asked. They may be easy to manipulate if you use that resistance where they can say, well, I'll show you or watch me or they'll kind of do something with reverse psychology if they don't catch it. They may choose to act out of love, a sense of mission and belief in a cause. So that's a really good point right there that I want you to be aware of, especially if you are a rebel or you know one. That's the key to getting things done for them. They may have trouble telling themselves what to do, even if it's something they want to do. They may love to meet a challenge in their own way, in their own time. They generally don't respond well to supervision, advice, directions, routines, schedules, or doing repetitive tasks. Again, what I want to do when I want to do it. And they may thrive in an environment of high regulation, which sounds counterintuitive, but a lot of times that connects to a bigger purpose. The most effective habit strategy for a rebel is to focus on identity. Rebels place great value on being true to themselves, and they can embrace a habit if they view it as a way to express that identity. Here are a few famous examples of the types to consider. A famous example of an upholder is Hermione Granger from the Harry Potter book series and movies. She has checklists and schedules and knows the rules even before she arrives at Hogwarts. She even borrows a time turner from Professor McGonagall to attend more classes. It makes me want to bust out the share song right now. Okay, bear with me. If I could turn back time. Right, okay. So Hermione is a strict rule follower. But as time progresses, she digs into her inner expectations and values to make choices that do break the rules. That's a great tip for upholders who struggle with rigidity. Go inward. Find your reasoning for change there. A famous example of a questioner is Ron Swanson from the show Parks and Recreation. If you know the show, he might strike you as a rebel to start, but don't let his jaded, curmudgeonly ways throw you. He works in a government office where he accepts and stands up for many laws, especially related to the safety of the community. He simply questions a lot of them as well, and especially the people that work there who are taking care of them. And when it comes to something like a building permit, where he truly believes he knows more, he becomes rebellious and does what he wants. The way to get through to questioners is to understand the authorities that they trust and to show them the research, show them the proof. Also, questioners can get caught in analysis paralysis collecting all that data. So finding trusted sources who've done the research can speed the process along and help them take action. A famous example of an obliger is George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. George has big dreams, and throughout the movie, he continues to put those dreams on hold for the sake of others, for outer expectations, like running the family business. He's responsible and caring, but he has his limits. 
the movie shows what an obliger rebellion can look like. It reminds us all how we need to appreciate and watch out for obligers, and it's one of the reasons I adore coaching them. If you are one, I've got your back. A famous example of a rebel is Becca Mitchell in Pitch Perfect. I think what makes her a rebel is not only that she bucks social convention and expectations, you know, those outer expectations by what she wears and what she does and her attitude and her choices, but she also seems to go against some of her inner choices as well. She has an identity that drives her, music mixing and being a producer, right? And she rejects opportunities and principle that may work for her, at least to start. In the first movie, she acquiesces to get involved and try things in college, including the acapella group, because her dad bargains with her to send her to L.A. to produce music if she's willing to give college a real try and get involved in an activity. So she finds that to be a worthwhile exchange and then does it. Some final thoughts. No assessment is foolproof, and many aspects of your character come into play when you determine how you work best. This is one jumping off point that is especially good for helping you take action in a way that suits you. If you haven't already, I recommend taking the quiz where you can learn a bit more about your tendency. You can find the quiz at GretchenRubin.com, search for quizzes, and you will find the Four Tendencies quiz on her page, or you can find the direct link on the podcast episode page for this episode. And you can find that where you find all the podcast information at positivelyproductive.com slash podcast. I would love to know which tendency you are. Message me your results by going to my connect page, positivelyproductive.com slash connect. And I'll have a custom recommendation for you if you do. If you're ready to dig in further and come up with some specific steps to make your tendency work for you, you can book a quick coaching session called the Productivity Boost Session. In 30 minutes, We'll review what's challenging you and come up with your next best steps. This session is highly effective for shifting a habit, quickly reviewing your weekly schedule, discussing productivity-related tech and systems, and moving past decision hurdles for prioritizing. You'll find a link for that on the Connect page as well. Be sure to use the promo code PODCAST for a very special listener discount. Thank you for joining me today. Your time is precious and limited, and I'm honored you chose to spend it with me. If you have feedback, questions, or want to schedule a chat, head to positivelyproductive.com connect. And if you are looking for any of the resources referenced on the podcast, from books to products to training and more, go to positivelyproductive.com resources.